0: Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturzitz. Bibles out or your, your iPads or smartphones or whatever that may be. And uh, turn your attention there. Did you notice the video of our kids and um, the, the teaching, the reference for online teaching that will be recorded This probably starts right about now. So whoever starts listening to this a year or two or five from now or next week, They won't know what the video is about, but we just played a video of of our children answering the question, you know, why do you love your mom? And so I listened to it two or three times, and it's cute. It's precious. But did you notice that the reason they said why they love their mom? It's for all of the things that she does. Now, Taylor, which was the last one or either the next to last one, who is one of the most wonderfully inquisitive little people I've ever met. Yeah. I don't know. How old, how old is Taylor right now? Who can tell me? I know Amanda's up there, so she can't tell me. Um, but since you, how old? Nine. nine? Okay, nine. Wow. Can, she's grown on me. I think she came when she was like three. And even when she was three, Taylor would, would she still does, look you right in the eye and ask you every question you don't want to answer. She's just one of those little people. And you say, well, children do that. Yeah, but then there's some children who really do that. And she does. And she's always done that, you know. And you smile back and you say, okay, okay. And then you finally realize the more questions that come, sooner or later, she's only three questions away from leaving you totally baffled and you can't answer them. So that's when shame begins to rise up and you begin to prepare your exit sooner than she wanted it to happen. She's asking the questions. Okay, thank you, Taylor. Now go away, now, leave. You can't say that, but you've got to find an adult way to get out of it. So I was fascinated to discover that Taylor at the end, at the close of the video, and I have no idea if it was strategically placed there or not, but I thought, what a wonderful way to close it. Why do you love your mom? And if you may or may not recall, she said, she made me. Now, that helps more to who her mom is than what her mom does. Having said that, We're going to deal with shame this morning, continue our series, how many mothers are glad you're here on Mother's Day to hear a message on shame. No one said amen or raised your hand, so I guess that's my good enough answer. We're picking up the series. I don't have time to review it. Uh, I read several excerpts of those who write on shame, but we have sort of accepted their projections because I'm finding them resonating in Scripture that shame has to do with, more with who we are, guilt is what we've done. It's much easier to respond to the guilt. As a matter of fact, most people, it's way easier to apologize because, man, I'm sorry I did that. But when we begin to have the suspicion that what we did is more out of who we are than what we've done, it makes it harder to apologize. So we've got to come to terms with separating what's what. And by the way, the person that you're married to or closest to can help you with what you've done, but when it comes down to it, only God can fix who I am because he informs me of my worth and I really need to hear from him first. So listen to me. It's far more important that I talk to him about who I am than even anyone else because that other person really can't help me. And I believe there's a difference. Have you noticed that, see here, I'm doing this, Lord help me. That confession in 1 John says that if I confess my sins, he cleanses me from unrighteousness. James says that if I confess my sins, I'll be healed. Have you noticed that only one of those can functionally fix who I am? And that's Jesus. That's where we need to go to confess and talk And deal with that reality, but when walking it out functionally, we still need to talk to someone else. Now, in the weeks to come, I'm going to unpack that more, but uh, I told you a couple of weeks ago, and that's the first sort of takeaway for you to be reminded that shame has to do with who I am, Uh, guilt has to do with what I've done. Now, I told you that the same author, Brene Brown, in her PhD research on shame, She gives lists. She says men and women fundamentally uh, 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 experience shame. The experience of it at the end, shame is shame for everybody. How many are relieved by that? Okay. So we get the same brand and quality. Everybody gets it. But how we get there is a very different reason. For men, I'm going to come back to this on Father's Day. Oh, my goodness. For men, it's one thing, the perception of weakness, weakness. And and we'll build a case for that. So, guys, our turn is coming on Father's Day. But for women, that's not one word. There's a, quite a long list. And of, so I laughed to myself and said, no surprise there. It's more complex. And if the women don't want to say amen, then men can say amen. Okay. And most of us are scared to say amen right there. Listen to her list. She said, her research proved that men and women experience guilt in different ways. For women, it's got to look perfect, do perfect, be perfect. Anything less than that is shaming, being judged by other mothers. Already we've heard today, super mom, and I'm, I'm married to one. I mean, she's just amazing. I didn't demand that of her. I don't, at least I don't think I do. Maybe her kids do so that I would love to blame them. And we all know it's there. They presented, all the men know that when kids arrive, that these children has presented a whole new set of problems for us that we've never been quite able to overcome. Enough said about that. That's intended to be a joke, but nobody's laughing, so let me move on past it. It says, anything less than look, do, and be perfect is shaming or being judged by other mothers, being exposed. We don't want the flawed parts of yourself so that we hide from everyone else. Uh, we don't want them revealed, okay? No matter what I achieve or how far I've come, where I've come from and what I've survived will always keep me from feeling like I'm good enough. Even though, number four, even though everyone knows that there's no way to do it all, everyone still expects it. Number five, shame is when you can't pull off looking like it's under control. It's never enough at home. There's the last one. Never enough at work, never enough in bed, never enough with my parents, shame is the never enough mentality, okay? So for men, it's weakness. For women, it's never enough, if her research is correct. What I wanna do is I wanna draw a quick distinction here. Now, to this end, we're gonna go back and review. And everyone needs to hang on right here. There are some things you're gonna wanna take away. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, and, Amanda, I don't know if I sent those, these two verses to you or not for the review. If I didn't, then it's clear that you're not enough in being a pro-presenter operator and have read my mind to know where I would go in advance. That's a joke, too. Still no one is laughing. Okay. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, and then we'll go to Genesis 3, verses 8 through 13. She's really is incredible and awesome. And the man, and read this out loud, look at the screen with me and say, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, let's say that again. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Now, this is important to note because naked and unashamed are clearly attached. Now, we'll, we'll keep talking more about this in the weeks to come. Now, in the very next chapter, the crash and burn would happen. We talked to it about it a lot around here. Let me tell you, at the core of my personal life ministry and a life philosophy and, and, and ministry philosophy are, is this concept of the fallenness and the problems of mankind. It's taught everywhere around here. Bless your hearts. You've heard it over and over, week in and week out. I won't ever stop preaching it because I think we finish church here, get in our cars, drive home, and husbands and wives forget the three primary problems that every human have, every relationship will have or experience has to do with, lie, with, with deception, fear, and lying. Let me reread this passage of Scripture quickly. The man and the woman, remember, who are naked and not ashamed, they have now eaten of the tree, uh, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Endless teaching on it around here. If you're new and haven't heard it, send me an email to tom at newhopeonline, tom at newhopeonline.com, and I'll send you a, both the outlines and a link to the, probably the core teaching. And so they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid, everybody say hide, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Now, we're not getting this sort of in chronological order. We don't get that until the end of the story. Okay, it says, then the Lord God called to him and said, where are you? And we've studied many times, that's more accurately, why are you where you are? So he said, uh, mankind responded and said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, Heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, everybody say afraid, because I was naked. Now, see, what he doesn't say here is a shame, but I think it is fair, and really, not many commentators would disagree, watch this, that if in verse chapter 225, he was naked and not ashamed, that when his nakedness is, is realized, shame followed. Now, we're going to get this. Two weeks ago, we studied that Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, listen, it says that Jesus endured, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. And of course, the takeaway from week one is that the cross of Jesus Christ is the place where the disease and virus of shame has been dealt with. And we can go back to that cross time after time after time for cleansing and eradication of the residue of this that will not finally go away until the end of the age. Here we go. Okay. Uh, Then God said, verse 11, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Now, notice by this point, mankind is doing things they never should have done. God is asking questions they never answer. And so this thing, you can see where it just goes sideways. The man said, said, he didn't answer his question, he blames. By the way, do you know when shame has the most firm grip on our soul, we can measure that by blaming. Because shame says, I can't fix the problem if I admit that somehow it's me but that's not true because we have a god that still wants to walk with us that still will inform our worth we blame listen to me we are we blame when shame tells me who i am more than god telling me who i am we blame when god when shame tells me who i am more than god telling me who i am okay So then the man answered the two questions, who told you you were naked and have you eaten from the tree? And he says, the woman you gave to me to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Notice, so he indirectly answers the second question. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. Now remember, there it is. Everybody say, "Deceive." That means it's to lie. Did you know the first descriptor describing the adversary, the serpent that Revelation says, the serpent of old is that adversary, that snake, that serpent that slithered into the garden, is the word deception. And that word deception means to bear away or carry a load. Two weeks ago, we did that. And the the powerful poetry is, listen to me, listen to this, that deception, the lie It deceives us into picking up a load we were never intended to bear and points to a destination that can never be gotten. Where do we get that? Uh, Well, this same word would be used to describe the goat of escape who could bear away our sins. Please, let let me get this. Let me get this across If we cut to chase in the New Testament, Jesus becomes the Lamb of God that has the capacity to bear away our sins. We can't bear away our sins. Only he can. Shame convinces us that we need to carry it past the cross of Jesus Christ. We do not. We can't carry it. We can't fix it. We have to unload it at the cross right there. I'm going to come to, to more of this in a moment. Let me just move on quickly. We see introduced deception, fear, and hiding. Now, I want to, set, I want to separate some things. Um, now, the, the remedy of this, of course, listen, is to unhide. That is why Jesus came, and that is the purpose of worship. A fundamental thing here... I wish, again, I could stamp, I really wish I could stamp only three or four or five things at most on our heart to live life out, that we could have them programmed in for every situation we'll encounter, to the deepest of rifts and conflict with our spouse, to a problem with someone standing in line at Kroger or in traffic or whatever the case may be. I'm telling you, it really does come back to this. But if the problem for mankind is that we hide from God, then the remedy is fixing it. Now, something we've studied here at great length, and something I, there's never a week that goes by that I'm not in some extended discussion with a pastor or a worship leader about worship. The Bible says that Jesus came in John chapter 1, verse 14, he came full of. Grace and truth. The word truth is the word aletheia. It means to unhide. Aletheia and lanthano, this is important to hear. It means hidden or to hide, whether it's a noun or a verb, how it shows up. And then the A negates it. So truth is a lanthano, aletheia. It means to not hide or unhide. I really wish in your Bibles, because I know everyone here reads their Bible every day, and especially in the book of John that you would, no, nobody's laughing there either, okay, that you would, that we'd just have the Holy Spirit receptor. Every time you read the word truth, you would just think for a moment, unhide or unhidden. It is amazing how it just blows up throughout the New Testament and just really, it's a boom, okay? So we know that when Jesus said to the woman at the well, worship is to worship in spirit and in truth, unhiddenness. It's Jesus designed us to live a life with him, walking daily where our worth is informed by his presence. That's so huge. Now, um, deception and fear, I want you to get this. Deception and fear are the source of our shame. Hiding is the result of shame. Listen to me. We haven't broken it down like this before because I typically just grab them all in one chunk. Lie, the lie, deception, the lie about you and being fearful that someone else will know what is a lie about us and inform us. See, deception and fear cause shame. Shame causes us to hide. I want to say it again. In the weeks ahead, we're going to be taking this apart even more. It's amazing the life and help that is going to come that I really feel the Holy Spirit has promised throughout the life of this study. Now, shame stamps two things on our DNA. Here it goes. Do you remember they sewed fig leaves together to hide? Every theologian will say they were hiding from each other. Because if that was sufficient for them to hide from God, listen... When they sowed the fig leaves on, they would have just walked right out and met him, and this is sufficient for me to hide from God. But it didn't. They hid from his presence. They were with each other. So the fig leaves were sufficient to cover me up before each other, so let's break this down. Our hiding is at two levels and does two things. Now, I've never said this before. I've never seen it before this week. Shame does two things and stamps two things. Hiding has to do with perception and proximity. With perception and proximity. Hiding has to do with perception and proximity. Perception is this. Seeing proximity is presence. Leave that up there if you would for a moment, Amanda. Hiding has to do with perception, which is seeing, and proximity which is presence to reduce it to something a little more simple, shame will always present now, excuse me, that I can't let you see and I can't let God near. I can't let you see. Now I want that just to sink in. I've had to be careful because boy, this is one of those where I can just get excited and woo and go off for a while. But keep your eyes open. Holy Spirit, I ask you to do what I already ask you to do. I ask you to take this point and bring us home to us. That we hide from the perceptions of each other and we hide from the presence of God. We think the fig leaves work for each other. But you, we can't even let you near. Shame does that, Lord. It says, I'm not going to let you see and I'm not going to let God near because we're uncertain of the outcomes of both, if our wife or husband or those around us should see and if God should actually come near. Shame will always present us, with. I'm going to say this, with convincing reasons why I can't let you see and why I can't let him near. With that, I want to leap to a New Testament story. It's a New Testament story of of an event that happened in the life of Christ. It was one of the stories that were that we used in the, in the production, the behind the door, and the outreach. It was a story of the woman with the issue of blood. And, um, and what happens is in that story, well, let me just read you the story. Take your Bibles, Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 48. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had been waiting for him. And I, I'm including some extra verses. And there came a man named Jairus, Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue who fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had a daughter, only daughter, about 12 years old. She was dying, but as she went, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman, now notice it just cuts away. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years could not be healed and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Now, if you dig into scripture and you trust the interpretation exactly what was going on, they believed this to be a vaginal hemorrhaging of some sort and because of that, the Old Testament would say a woman in that particular point of her menstrual cycle was unclean, had to be removed and separate. That's according to the law. And so this continual bleeding put her in the constant state of uncleanness. And you're separate. You can't be around anyone. We've got to let that sink in, okay? This is the woman who came up behind him, touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, how many are thankful for Peter again? Every time I read his name, I just say, thank you, God, you put him in the Bible. Because at any moment that you fear, you might be the greatest captain obvious of dumb things. You can turn and read about Peter. I'm going to have to apologize to him when I see him in heaven. Oh, I think to some extent we all are and say, dude, I'm so sorry that, in that, that God included you there and just told all your business to the whole world. But thank you. you would give me, Peter, you gave me hope on any day that if you could remain in his inner circle, I was pretty certain at any moment I could. I'm not going to say all that in heaven, none of us will, but it's fun thinking about those, okay? So here it says, but Peter said, now you can be sure that when he says it, something profound, not, is about to come out of his mouth. Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. Now, let me jump over. A man, I think we're going to skip to a moment. Hold on one second. Um, um, Verse Mark 5 we're going to come back to this, but I want to grab, it says, and his disciples. Well, we know it was Peter, uh, five, Mark 5, verse 31, Amanda, out of that. He says, you see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, who touched me? Now, let's go back to chapter, uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 45, where he says, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. And we can add there, if we sort of collapse the gospels, and you have the nerve to say, who's touching you? So it was more like this. Jesus said, somebody touched me. Peter turned around and says, seriously, somebody touched you? Do you not see all these people around you? Somebody touched you? We're doing our best to keep them back. Somebody t- Everybody's touching you. But Jesus said, someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. Now, Peter makes it obvious, lots of people are touching me, but power only went out to one. That's huge. We're going to end here in a moment with, I'm going to sing my song like I am not ashamed. We're going to come back to that, I promise you, on reason. But Jesus said, someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. When the woman saw, watch this, we don't know her name. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Why would she be trembling and why would she be hesitant about that? Now, let me tell you what this woman knew for sure. This is not empty speculation. There was a Jewish consciousness that the per, that, that the, the Rabbi, which he was, Jesus was recognized as. That you only got a greater measure of power the more obedient you were to the law. If you're more obedient, you got more power and God favored you more. Did you know that that is not so far removed from our consciousness here today? We suppose that people that have, you know, that are more effective in prayer or living life or whatever, that they are more obedient to some religious mechanical expression of faith. And because of that, well, that's the reason they're blessed and I'm not, and so and that that's the reason. We have this whole religious stratifying. We do it today. It is not just unique to them. But let me go even further with this. She, arguably being a a Jewish lady, had grown up within that system of understanding that the rabbis, that, that these really religious people, the rabbis, the Pharisees, those of the synagogue, as a matter of fact, because she was on, he was on the way to a house of one of the leaders in the synagogue, it's even more extreme, uh, just out on the edge that she would press through that because there would be even a more unique crowd who was ushering him to the synagogue. They were part of that inner circle, no doubt. They wanted to go, excuse me, ushering to his house, that they wanted to be part of, you know, this guy's friends are coming along and can you come and help me? So here's the thing, she would not be offended per se if the crowd found out or noticed she was there and and suddenly pushed her away because she's been raised believing it, liking it or not, she accepts the reality, hear me, I'm almost done, and the consciousness that I'm unclean, the crowd will push me away well, maybe we can do like a blind man and Jesus, come and heal me or the lame person or something. Can you do something? Or a beggar that would cry out Jesus' name. No, she couldn't do that because you see, they weren't unclean. They were in need, but they weren't unclean. Here's what I believe she was further convinced of, that if she would have screamed out to Jesus, I need you to touch me because I have been bleeding vaginally for 12 years she would have fully expected this rabbi to say, I'm sorry, I can't touch you. There's not a thing I can do for you because we can't touch people like you. Now, I'm hoping I can word this point right because it is one of the two things that just really zoom and zone in. When shame begins to inform us entirely, we become absolutely convinced that our plight is somehow deserved, and number one, I can't let you see, and I can't let God near. Because I'm confident you will reject me, and I'll know that he will reject me. And you say, well, I don't know that I struggle with that. Good. We shouldn't afterwards. But people who walk in here or are getting to know God, who want to encounter God for the first thing. They have information about God god that they're totally convinced of i'm talking about the unsaved people around your life that have done egregious things we all have them in our families lives our friendship circle think about because i'm going to tell you how they think right now i'm not going to let you know and i'm not going to let you see and i'm not going to let him near because if i let you see or him near the outcome is is the same they're going to push me away is anybody getting what i'm talking about here Dealing with shame on Mother's Day. Dealing with shame as it may. It's not just unique. Shame gets us both. There are different paths there. This woman discloses this to us in an incredibly powerful way. So she would have been fully convinced. Everybody tracking with me? That the lie does its best work when we are absolutely convinced. I can't let anyone see and I can't let God near because all it will do is firmly drive home. I'm going to be rejected by everyone. Matter of fact, I wrote a song called I Must Touch Him, which was done in it, but I've started working on another song. Listen, she couldn't even say the reason that she came. She couldn't even say that she was bleeding and in pain. She knew what they would say. You're unclean. Now go away. So she did not even dare to call out his name. What happens when shame so informs us that we already know we're beyond the reach of people? But shame's ugliest whisper says, I'm also beyond the reach of God. Now, this story is just filled with absolutely, absolute complexity. So what does she do? She has to find a way of reaching out and touching God without even saying it out loud. And so she did. And here's the thing we learned that has messed up my whole thing of worship. Because prior to this, I said, well, to encounter God, we have to at least make that first step out from behind where we're hiding. I now have to retract that because I've found the reason that we hide is shame. But now I've noticed that story after story in the New Testament, Jesus comes to find us while we're in our shame. He doesn't wait for us to step out from where we're hiding. Somebody needs to hear that. Somebody needs to know that's hope for your loved one. It's hope for your pain or your shame or where you go. That God comes and finds us right where we are. Want to know how I know this? Look at this. verse, Amanda, if you can get verse 47 for me. When, When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice. I'm going to hold on, sweetheart. I want you to see that. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice. Would you read these words out loud? I'm almost done right now. Read them with me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice. You see those two words, escape notice? I did not know this until I came across it this week. And don't ask me why I was looking at it. But when I did, I went, oh, my goodness. The word escape notice is from the Greek word lanthano. Watch. Anybody remember me telling you what that word meant? To hide? Aletheia is unhidden. When she saw that she was not hidden. Oh my. What happens now? When she discovers that she was not hidden. I hope I remember to say this because just throughout the morning there's things that have come that I don't have in my notes. I'm saying this earlier than I should. But I got to get there. When she discovered she began to talk. Now, let me give you Mark's version of that. Mark chapter 5, verse 32. Mark's version. Three Gospels record this story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John doesn't. And Jesus looked around to see the woman who had done this. The woman came fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, and came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She worshiped. She was unhidden. Beloved, can I tell you, here's the deal. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus knew about this woman. That morning when he got up out of bed and went on his way, he knew about the woman. She didn't sneak up on Jesus. He knew about her pressing her way around the edges of the crowd. She knew she was probably dressed in such a fashion that she couldn't draw attention to herself because they said, oh, if it's her, we're going to send her away because she's unclean. She knew, he knew that. But here's the question. Is there a chance I can touch him before they know I'm there or he knows I'm there? Is there a chance that I can somehow touch God before I have to say out loud what I know will make everybody around me reject me and God probably reject me? Oh, my goodness. Here is the good news. When does God, use, he, he, you know, he will expose us. He will expose us. I grew up in a church to say, you need to know that when you sin, it's going to be shouted from the rooftop. Be sure your sins will find you out. Scripture's there. So you making fun of that. No, I'm not. But I found this. People love to expose us while we're still stuck in it. Listen to me. Would you notice, please, when Jesus exposed her? It was the other side of the problem. It was after she had been fixed. And now her problem was no longer her identity. Her problem was now a testimony. Because Jesus knew no one could step up at that moment and say, you're unclean. Jesus would say, "Um, not anymore. That, that ended when she pressed through the crowds because she knew she couldn't say it out loud. She was scared if you knew or I knew that I would send her away. And only one of those two propositions is true. But here's the deal. It's Mother's Day. I want to send everybody out here to go send a Mother's Day message and to reach out and extend the mothering heart of God that says, you don't need to fear saying it out loud. God will never reject you. God will never push you away. I don't know if this is getting across, but my heart rejoiced when I saw that, and I haven't even worded it right because, see, how do you even do that? How do you press through the crowd and reach out to touch Him before you say it out loud? I can't let them know I'm there. I can't let Him know I'm there, but the thing is is that God knows it all. He's been tracking you since before the day you were born, and even though you think that if I keep fig leaves on, you won't see, and if I hide he won't come near the Bible says that he goes before me and behind me and he encompasses me round about the Bible says that if I make my bed in heaven there he is with me now we may enjoy the moment when we finally get to say out loud God this is my problem I just needed to somehow get to you and touch you and have the encounter with you begin to heal and assuage my soul before I would dare say it out loud you know what I finally got a theology for why I've been suspicious about altar calls. I get asked all the time why don't you have people pray for salvation, raise their hand, and come down to the front every week? And for years, I could give you a reason. First of all, they'll quote a scripture that has nothing to do with altar calls in a 21st or 20th century or 19th century service, come down front. Because if you won't confess me before men, I won't confess you before my Father. If you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you. It has nothing to do with altar calls. Nothing. Nothing. And here's what I want you to know, beloved. If you are here this morning and you've wandered into New Hope Church, here's the good news. It's my prayer that as we step up and we begin to sing worship songs, Dan, come back out if you would, we begin to sing worship songs and we begin to sing a song that maybe you don't even know. Maybe you're the one person in the crowd today that came here on Mother's Day because you came to go with your mom or a sister or something and you didn't want to come here because you know this, you need to keep your fig leaves intact because you can't let people see and you don't want to get God near because we all it's all the same thing. I'm unclean. I'm going to get shoved away. But here's what I pray happens in this building and becomes a statement of our life that every week when we walk in you see the spirit of God comes walking right up beside you and reaches out to you and say before you even open your mouth I want to let you know it's possible to reach out and touch me. Before you even say your first prayer I want to let you know that it's possible to touch me. I want to let you know before you even articulate or before you even think. You see I don't want to think about my problem. I don't want to think about all the things I've done wrong and that's all right because Jesus shows up the Holy Spirit comes into a building where he's enthroned on his people on his praises and he said I can be touched right now right where you are I am there and it's my prayer that that happens every week in worship Amen. Amen. I'm gonna sing my song like I am on earth shame how can we do that I thought of today being Mother's Day, and without, I don't need to build a case for it, without argument, it is the model of nurturing. And again, when you say that, you say, well, that wasn't my mom, and I, and, I, and I get that. And that point of pain, I am deeply sensitive to it. I have the luxury of being surrounded by incredible women of God. And I'll just list them in the order I came to know them. That's my mom. That's my wife, uh, my sisters, mother-in-law, nieces, all incredible, altruistic, they're self-sacrificing, godly women. So I didn't have that luxury and I hate that, I do. But I can't allow that to keep me from simply saying, Father, I am thankful, I am thankful. I need to, to teach many more weeks because I can't wait to get to talk to you. Did you know that shame caused us to hide from God? And then in, later in chapter 3, on the way out of the garden, if you will, shame stamps an image on the DNA. It says, Of women, your primary value, listen, is cosmetic appeal and sexual bartering. It's right there in Genesis 3:16. To the men, they're bigger and stronger and have control of the economy. It is my belief, it is my belief uh, that, that the Bible established that, that prior to the fall in terms of physical stature and strength, men and women were probably equal. There's no indication otherwise, no indication otherwise. Part of the curse was that women became weaker. In First Peter chapter three, and I'm going to talk about this more on Father's Day, but, man, you need to be pulled in under the umbrella here today. It says, um, live with your wives in an understanding way, knowing that she's a weaker vessel. It doesn't mean mental competence or acuity. It's a simple statement. The weaker vessel, this body's weaker. So how does all that get mixed up and convoluted? Because on the way out of the garden, those things got stamped. And if the primary point of shame is to be weak, then when we pass through that threshold that in my weakness, I find his strength, we suppose that if I'm weak, I'm like a woman. And now the primary cry is this, you know, I've got to preserve my manhood as a worshiper. No, you just need to be a worshiper. Manhood and womanhood, God will handle. Well, that just seems so feminine. No, that's out of your own brokenness. See, weakness is the threshold, and that is our problem. You need to get ready for Father's Day, man, because you know how I preach to us. Okay. Father, on Mother's Day, look at the reality of of the life, the plight, the promise, and the potential of that unique aspect of your creation not just mothers, but women. We read and see so many instances of where you use that gender to bring points of clarity. Lord, you don't have to read far to discover that probably more than men, they surface to critical and essential points of being used in your story, Jesus, as you were here, time after time. And so today we come on this day and I reach to the one, number one thing, I reach to the one who may be watching online or sitting in this building and say, I've got to hide. I reach to the one sitting in this room to say there's still things that I've got to hide. I can't let you see me and I can't let God near. And shame traps us, Father, under the squeeze and pressure of that life. I pray for liberty and for liberation for the human soul. But I pray for the one that may have come in here today and say, is it possible for me to somehow touch God right where I am? And what we've learned is the answer is yes. The only time that you will expose us is after our shame becomes a testimony. The only time you will expose us is on the other side of that brokenness or that pain being touched by your presence, you touching us, us touching you. Father, may shame begin to be shattered off the lives of your people in these days ahead and these weeks ahead. I love you and I praise you and I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand, okay? Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.